What's up, everybody? It's your old friend, John Middlecoff. I'm here to tell you about our friends at Game Time. Here's what I need you to do. Go to your smartphone, download a little app called Game Time. Baseball season's in full swing. Oracle Park. Been there a million times. Never doesn't live up to the hype. Go get yourself some garlic fries, a brewski, maybe uh, some ice cream. They have very good Ghirardelli ice cream there. And when you do that, promo code HAM. So download the Game Time app. Your first pair of tickets, promo code HAM, H-A-M, save $20. The A's, only going to be in the Bay Area for the rest of this season. You probably can basically go for free. Just buy a pair of tickets to any baseball game. They also have comedy shows if you want to check one of those out, or concerts. Game Time app, promo code HAM, save yourself $20. We don't even need to thank you. Just hammer that promo code. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Middle cough! Hey, behave! Another pod, another day. We actually recorded this one Monday. It's coming out Tuesday morning. Uh, and this, this podcast is an interview. We don't do a lot of those here, but when we do them, they're good. Yeah, because we, you know, if we reach out to you and want you on the podcast, we want your opinions. Most people, remember how many interviews we do in radio? Like, why are we doing this? Yeah, I do. And that happens a lot in radio. That's a great part of our podcast. If we're talking to someone, we really want to talk to them. Yeah. So we want to talk to Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. And uh, we're going to talk to him about a bunch of stuff. Well, I think, too, what makes him unique for our show is that Kyle John coached the game. He obviously worked with Mayock. And we found out he worked with Mayock all fall. Mayock just getting guys from him, and they worked together. Yeah, that was a good part of that. And obviously him and John Lynch worked closely together. And then the amount of players, I mean, the 49ers, three of their first four picks were senior bowl guys. The Raiders, I mean, they had, they, one of their first-round picks was a senior bowl guy, and then Hunter Renfro and the tight end from LSU, that, whatever. But, I mean, that's – Senior Bowl played a big role for these two teams. And it has, remember the year, like our first year doing a radio show, the Raiders had just coached the Senior Bowl, and they drafted a bunch of the Senior Bowl guys, like Seal Moore. It just, it didn't work out very well. But Was Tyler Wilson at the Senior Bowl? <laughs> yes. It was a bad, it was a bad crop. Uh, but it was pretty cool. All right, we'll get to Jim Nagy in a moment. But first we'll tell you, this podcast is brought to you by Upstart, as most people find. Getting into debt's easy. Getting out is hard, especially if your FICO scores are great. Sky-high interest rates can make the cycle, the debt cycle, even crazy, John. You like uh, Illinois, crazy debt cycle, or the uh, United States Postal Service, crazy debt cycle. Thankfully, now there's upstart.com. You don't have to be like the Postal Service. Are they, is Postal Service in debt? Debt cycle, John. They say it's just gonna, it's never going to end. Okay. Uh, the, but it's hard. They've, they've bitten off a lot. Deliver to every home in the country every day? It's, I mean, if you yeah. suggested that cost, 2019, like Amazon's not trying to do that. No. Uh, Upstart's uh, what we're talking about, though. Upstart.com, the revolutionary lending platform that offers smarter interest rates to help you pay off the high-interest credit card debt. 
Well, listen, I, me and Haberman were involved in the situation. Luckily, we can we were band together on this one. Mm. We're, we were expecting some money to come in. Something happened. It never came. And it listen, it happens to us all. We're going to pay off some of our debts with that cash, credit card bills, pay the rent, whatever. And that money, things happen. Crazy curveballs happen in life with money. And sometimes you need a little cash influx, guy. You need a little loan. Pay off those credit cards. Hell, maybe go do have it for a wedding, whatever. You've had a wedding. They're expensive. Uh, and the great part about Upstart, guy, it's fast, simple, and easy, and it does not affect your credit. We've all attempted to sign up for things when it comes to money, and it affects your credit. You're like, God, I, I don't have much margin for error there. Uh, don't want a negative impact. So upstart.com slash ham. You're crazy if you don't use it if you need a little cash. See why Upstart is ranked number one in their category with over 300 businesses on Trustpilot. Hurry to upstart.com slash ham to find out how low your upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes, and like John said, won't affect your credit. That's upstart.com slash ham. And this podcast is brought to you by Hair Club. Woo! You already Woo! know. Preach. Key guy, key guy is, uh, I can relate to so many of you out there that are listening. You know, our demo, I, I see where you guys are, 25 to, to 35. We all lose our hair at different times, but for the most part, it happens in that little window, 25 to 40. Uh, and it makes any man insecure. I was really insecure about it. I did not choose this life. It chose me. But the great thing is you don't have to let it choose you because so much since it happened to me, these companies like hairclub.com slash ham have come out. Not everyone's the same. Some people are receding. Some people are just losing their hair. Some people have lost their hair but are, are don't shave it like me and want to hold on to it and get it rejuvenated and restorated. And have that do that surgery where they take the hair out of the back of your head and put it on top. Hair Club does it all, guy. You can go to hairclub.com slash ham, free consultation to find out what you may need. Now, all of our needs aren't the same. You know, Haberman one day, when his hair starts falling Whoa. out, you know, you could argue it might be inevitable. You will use hairclub.com slash ham. That's right. Uh, go to hairclub.com slash ham for a free hair health and scalp analysis for new customers and enjoy a $250 savings. On any qualifying hair club service after your initial consultation, that's hairclub.com slash ham for a free hair health and scalp analysis and enjoy $250 savings on any qualifying hair club service after that initial free consultation. Hairclub.com slash ham. All right, you ready to get nitty gritty, have some fun? You didn't want to break down Curry's 80 point night last night? Oh, it was incredible. Wow. Wow. 80, John. Who I thought he. Wish he'd gone for 81 or 82, you know, past past Kobe. Isn't it crazy that uh, Dame Lillard didn't even show up for the game? I love everyone's like, what is wrong with Dame? Uh, Well, I don't know, the Warriors? Yeah, it's just like we get it. He's rib. I, I don't care. I'm not judging him off this series. Like, I, I already like him. He's fine. He had a shitty series, whatever. Shit right. happens. On to Jim Nagy? On to Jim Nagy, baby. The executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Here he is. Who John DM'd. And so now he's here. Which is awesome. 2019. Yeah, baby. How you doing? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no no need for a, a PR guy anymore. You just DM people. Is that how Belichick used to get a hold of you? <laughs> uh, well, actually, we might as well start there because we were talking about social media. And it's cool to see uh, you in your role. You're pretty active. You already have your putting together your 2020 board. We see you tweeting about guys you have about guys that maybe you wish you'd invited because they they ended up getting drafted uh so you spent almost two decades in the nfl like how did social media kind of evolve as a scouting tool and now how does it work for you when you're scouting guys that you want to have play in the senior bowl 
<laughs> yeah, it's a interesting question. Yeah, I didn't use it as a scouting tool nearly as much as I should. So I'm I'm a 44 year old middle aged guy, and I kind of fought that, knowing that there was guys in the off, younger guys in the office, kind of keeping monitoring uh, monitoring the players' social media. So I really just jumped on uh, when I took the senior bowl job last summer. I think I jumped on at the tail end of August, early September, and. Um, what I what I what I tried to do, my goal was was to really pull the curtain back on the Senior Bowl and kind of let the fans see who we're looking at and why we're looking at them and um, just the whole process behind what we do. You know, we changed a lot up internally in the way we scout the game. Tried to structure it as much as I could, like a like an NFL personnel department. You know, hired hired a bunch of former NFL scouts to to cover the country for us and. Uh, yeah, so that, that's really what it was about. And, uh, you know, we'd go to games in the fall and, and we'd post a bunch of video from the prospects. And what started out, like I said, was, was more of, of for the fans. It really turned into a cool recruiting tool with the players. They started to see our, what we were posting about them and, you know, following us and, and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, really, I really was happy with how that first year, you know, evolved when it comes to the social aspect and how we can uh, use that as a tool for our benefit. I think your point of view and perspective now is so unique. Obviously, the people you worked for when you were in the league, Snyder, Pioli, uh, Belichick, but now you're friends with them all. I mean, they they all need you. You've developed relationships over this last year. Talking about social media, because it's natural for older people to kind of fight against it, and I did too until I got out of football, and then you just kind of have to use it. How much are these teams using Twitter and Instagram as a tool? Like, I mean, because it feels like from the outside now, it's becoming a pretty big deal for them to kind of dive in and use that to evaluate the person, not obviously not the player, but the person. Yeah, you know, I think teams teams deal with it a little differently, but, you know, I know that a couple teams, one of the teams I was on, we hired an outside service, uh, you know, guys that were former FBI people, and they scour those things. And these, I mean, we, they were digging up stuff that kids put – put on their social media back in junior high and, uh, you know, finding some things that we ended up taking guys off the board for, you know, really uh, objectionable stuff. And, uh, you know, in other teams where we would just have a couple of young scouting assistants were, were basically tasked with, you know, going through all the guys that were on the board. But, yeah, no, it's definitely a tool. I think that, you know, especially early on when these kids don't really aren't thinking about, wow, if I post something now, it might come back to me in three or four years when I'm getting ready to go to the NFL. Um, kind of sheds light into who they are and what they're into. And, uh, you know, you would think they're going to be smarter about it moving forward, but every year there's a couple guys that seem to get burned. Two guys that are all about ball, Gruden and Kyle Shanahan. Like, I don't know. I don't – maybe they got, like, sneaky Instagrams or, like, if Kyle was on Snapchat, I think that would entertain everybody. Um, But you had them in your game, and obviously we keep close eye on both of them. And it seemed like it really translated to both of their drafts, the Senior Bowl. What what was it like having them? What was your takeaway from working with John Gruden and working with Kyle Shanahan? Yeah, I, I was really blessed, I feel like, to have Coach Gruden and Coach Shanahan down here my first year with the game. Uh, made for a really easy week. Those guys are low maintenance. Like you said, they're, they're football guys. All they want to do is just coach and, uh, you know, just be around the players. And I think both staffs did a really good job of immersing themselves in the week. You know, there's nobody wants to coach in the game because it means you're coming off a, a, a pretty bad season, uh, you know, record-wise, because we start with the draft order and, and work our way down. You know, like this year, the Cardinals couldn't coach in it. They're the top pick because they were turning over their staff. But 
we ended up with the, the teams that drafted second and fourth, the Bay Area teams. And, you know, if you really – no one wants to coach in it, but it's really a huge benefit if you do, um, especially if you attack it the right way. So not only, you know, all the other teams are down here doing interviews, but these guys get them in the meeting room. They're seeing, you know, how they learn, what their learning style is, how they apply coaching during practice, you know, how they bounce back from a bad rep on the practice field. Like just being that close, close up and hands-on and then – you know, just eating breakfast with them in the morning and, you know, seeing who shows up on time and who's straggling. And um, there's so many little fine points during the week that you can't pick up if you're not coaching the game uh, that you can cue into. And that's why I think that every year you look at the, the teams that coach the Senior Bowl, um, they always do a really nice job of drawing the right kinds of guys from our game. Was there a specific incident with either one of them that where you were around where you go, man, that's – that's smart, or that was that was impressive, either pushing a guy, pressing a player, something that you observed that was kind of cool that you wouldn't have been able to do if you weren't running the senior bowl? Yeah, you know, I just think I just think watching John Gruden push the buttons of his quarterbacks all week, um, you know, he had Daniel Jones, who went sixth overall to the Giants. He had Drew Locke. He had uh, Ryan Finley, who went to Cincinnati. And I think he had Trace McSorley on his team. But just to see how he – he kind of chewed on those guys when they were doing their installs and these guys were have to get in the huddle and, and spit out verbiage like they've never had to do before in college where they're most of these guys are just taking it off the cue card nowadays. So just seeing them in those instances, really being overly hard to see how they'd respond was, was really something cool. If you're not down on the field, you know, uh, you don't get a chance and, and really not everyone knows this. Every team can only bring two player, two representatives on the field. So it's usually just the head coach and the general manager are the guys that are on the field at the senior bowl because we have to limit access just for player safety reasons. So when you're a scout, you're sitting up in the in the stands. So that's some of the little stuff you don't you don't get to check out. Well, I mean, you have almost two decades of scouting, working in the front office, being around football guys. While the two GMs for those two coaches are football guys, their paths were a little different. I'm sure you dealt a lot with Mayock and John Lynch. You being a football guy, what was your takeaway for those two guys in roles? Obviously, Mike was brand new to the job, and and John Lynch is still really green in that position. What what, what were your takeaways from those two guys? Um, I think my biggest takeaway from John Lynch, who I, I didn't know as well. I did. I do have some background with Mike Mayock, but John Lynch, I, I've told people since the game, he is such a genuine good guy. I mean, honestly, for someone that's so accomplished in his life, a two-sport athlete at Stanford and a Hall of Fame NFL resume. Just to, my initial dealings with him when we were when I was trying to put the rosters together and you know make him competitively balanced for each team. You know trying to work through you know work with Mike and John on that. You know shooting different examples of rosters to him. He was so easy through the whole process. Just you know just a genuine good guy. Like I was the type of guy I'd love to work for. You know he was he was. Uh, just really sincere. It's always impressive to me to see guys that have accomplished so much and, and have stayed grounded. That was, that was a real takeaway. And then with Mike, like I said, I do know Mike, I did have some background with Mike just being out at pro days over the years where Mike was there with the NFL network. And uh, you know, he's, he's a grinder. Like people, I, I think that it, it might've rubbed some people wrong around the league that the guy that had never been in the league, you know, went right to the GM chair, but it, it didn't bother me because Mike is, you know, when Mike goes to pro days and, and, he, and he's at schools, I mean, he really rolls up his sleeves and he was timing 40s with us and he was taking notes. And I mean, you go to some of these pro days, there's GMs that don't do that. Um, 
So to see Mike attack his job the way he has over the years, I've always had a lot of respect for him. And, you know, he had a lot of, he had a lot of background with our game this year because he reached out to me in September about our board when I started posting it on, on, on my Twitter account. And uh, I was shoot, he asked me to shoot it to him every week so he could kind of keep up with the new names we were adding so he could <laughs> stay current on the tape. So I joked with him when he got down here. I said, Mike, I don't know why you're here. You know this roster better than anybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, both both those guys are, are, are great. I mean, again, with the coaching staffs and, and, you know, John and Mike, I couldn't have asked for a better situation this first year with the game. There was a story this, this week in the NBA, like before their NBA combine, they have their G League combine, and then teams vote 10 players they want from the G League combine to go to the NBA combine. And there was a report that there was one guy that teams didn't vote for, that a few team, one team said, we didn't vote for him, we sandbagged it, we didn't want other teams to see him. Uh, and there's been some response to that. Like, you're not going to hide a player. Like, people know who's who. But I would say, yeah, people know who's who. But I'm look based on the Senior Bowl, like, players that these coaches got to see and got to work with, they drafted. So there's got to be something to it. Do you think there's – does any of that happen in the NFL? Like, has – in the history of the Senior Bowl, has any coach you think ever picked up the phone and said, you know, if you don't take this guy, we'd really appreciate it because we think he's a fourth-rounder and we can get him there? Uh, yeah, it happened this year. Um, uh you know, so what, what our process was, we scouted the country with the four former NFL scouts that we had, um, and then myself and our two, two guys in the office. And uh, when we felt good about the board in about mid-November, then I spent the week of Thanksgiving just calling around to the, different, to the different teams. I ended up hitting up 17 teams. It was important for me to get at least half the league's input. And uh, at that point, I think we'd invited about 80 guys already. And so what I, on these calls, it was, it was like, hey, I've got three D-line spots, um, and there's about seven or eight guys in this cluster right around that cut line. Is there, you know, which three would you guys want to see? And there was a couple times during those conversations where, you know, teams would be, well, we really like that guy, but please don't bring him because we think we like him more than other teams. And so there was a little bit of that that went on. But uh, I don't know if that's exactly what you meant, but there, there yeah. was a little bit of that where, where they didn't want me to bring some guys trying did, to. Did you listen or did you still bring the guys? <laughs> I, I brought, I, it, it, was, it was two guys in particular, and they, they both came down here. Gettleman's like, do not bring Daniel Jones. <laughs> well, no, this is where he fell in love with That's them. Right. So he would, yeah. you know, yes. he, he didn't love him before he came to Mobile. <laughs> okay, well, let's, uh, let's dive into the Niners. Uh, they, let's, I guess, start with their, their number two overall pick, though he wasn't a senior bowl guy, he wasn't even eligible. I, I know you tweeted when Chris retired. I don't have the exact tweet up, but basically that Nick Bosa is not on Chris's level. And at one point in time, I think people forget uh, that Chris was the number two overall pack pick in the draft once upon a time. Long. It was viewed as kind of a Chris Long, Howie's kid, uh, and Kyle's brother, older brother, was viewed as like can't-miss prospect. That's kind of the way Nick was viewed. I personally, I, I'm closer to you. I, I didn't evaluate Chris, but I'm not the biggest Nick Bosa guy relative to the recent, the Khalil Max, the Vaughn Millers, the... Hell, even Bradley Chubb last year. I don't think he's as good as him. Just and then we're talking the highest level guy when you take someone at two. Your thoughts on Nick Bosa? Yeah, and again, I it's hard on Twitter to convey exactly what you mean in 120 characters. I I think Nick Bosa is going to be a good player. Don't get me wrong; he was a good prospect. But number two overall, I just it was weird for me this year because usually as a scout, you come home from the draft and you get started on the next year's next year's draft class and you're really the first one that's put your eyeballs on him. You know, your, your opinion's not tainted at all. 
Well, after the Senior Bowl this year, I got hired on to do a little work with ESPN as a draft analyst, and that was an awesome experience. But I had to I had to go back and you know circle the wagons on a bunch of these juniors that weren't eligible for the Senior Bowl for the draft. And the narrative had already been kind of set on Nick Bosa that he was just this can't miss guy and top five pick, you know, possible number one overall pick. And again, I put on the tape, I just didn't see that level of player. So I. I, I wasn't trying to, to knock Nick Bosa. That wasn't that really wasn't the point. Is I really thought Chris Long was a great player coming out of college. Um, I, I put a I put a, a massive grade on on Chris Long. I think Belichick looked at me sideways a little bit um, after I stuck that big grade on him. But I, I thought they were similar players. And Chris has had a really good NFL career. But you know, individually, he he'd only been to a couple Pro Bowls. So. It's not like we're talking about Chris Long as a, as a potential Hall of Famer, and I didn't see Nick Bosa at Chris's level. Um, just didn't see the twitch, didn't see the motor. Um, so, I, so, again, if Chris had the career he had, and I didn't think Nick was to that level, I just I thought, you know, for the number two overall pick, I thought that was a little rich. Do I think Nick's going to have a good career? Absolutely. Um, but I was just trying to make a, a player comparison and, and – I, I know it. it no, we, we love that. We love we love that here. I mean, all well, day long, baby. Got got some Niners fans bent out of shape. I, I do think Nick will be a good player, but I I just thought Chris was was better player coming out of college. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, I've said it before. My experience in the draft room and stuff. When you have the last name, and obviously Chris did, and definitely Nick does, even more recent, right? Because Howie and Chris, there was a big separation. Nick has his brother Joey kicking ass and taking names and is one of the best players in the league. You've spent a lot more time in draft rooms than me over the years. How much do you think that played a part just in the buzz around the league on this guy? Because the people that I trust in the league, a couple of my good buddies that were in no position to draft him, they really liked him. And guys that, you know, are right way more than they're wrong. And I'm just like, I don't know, man. Because I'm with you, Jim. I I think he's a good player, but the hype on him just felt a little strong. Did, did Joey... And Joey's success, do you think, kind of add to the buzz around this player? Yeah, I think so. I, I do think so. And I, you, you bring it all the way back to Chris Long. We had those conversations uh, when I was in New England. Is is he at his ceiling? You know, because he's, you know, how he done such a good job training him with technique and hand use um, was okay. How much better can he get? Is he tapped out? Kind of like people think with Alabama players, they get coached so well in Tuscaloosa. What's their ceiling? So. I think it was similar, you know, with with, uh, with Nick. He was so advanced with his hands, and that's how he beats blocks a lot, you know, it's just with technique. And so the question is, you know, what's, what's going to happen? And you know this, John, that the, one of the biggest differences between NFL football and college football is offensive linemen know how to use their hands at the pro level, and, and the vast majority of them don't in college. So um, what's going to happen to a guy like Nick when someone knows how to put their hands on him and lock him up? Is he still going to be able to win? So – um, but yeah, I mean, just talking to my friends around the league because I did, I made that call. Now, guys, am I, am I seeing this right? Why, why don't I think that, you know, see this guy as a top five, top 10 pick. And, uh, and most of the feedback I got was similar that, um, I think the mindset was, there was a little bit of feeling that Nick might've had his foot, one foot in the NFL from the time he got to Columbus and, you know, just kind of biding his time till he got to the NFL. A, a little, a little so, clowny like almost. Yeah, so that being the case, they think there, you might see a better Nick Bosa as a pro, which I can't argue that if that's the yeah. theory. Um, I think the other theory was, um, you know, most people I talk to that I trust that are good evaluators that I didn't do Joey coming out, um, but guys that did Joey 
Uh, most of them thought Joey was a better prospect. I, actually, all of them thought Joey was a better prospect. But the, the prevailing feeling was, you know, like you said, Joey's an elite player. Even if Nick doesn't reach where his brother's at, you're still getting a good player. So it, it was, you know, I don't know, you hate calling it a, a safe pick, whatever it is, but um, I think there was some of that sentiment too. I mean, yeah, even if he doesn't get to Joey's level, he's still got a good player. Was there, so, a, was there a clear-cut guy after Kyler or a clear-cut non-quarterback number one to you if it wasn't Nick? I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was Quinn and Williams. I, I, I thought he was the clear-cut best player in the draft. Um, you know, I think the, the, the ceiling on that kid is so high, really, you know, it's, he's so hard to block because he's slippery and he's powerful. So he just, you just don't know, you don't know how he's going to attack you inside. And those guys are, I know this year's edge class got all the buzz. And, and again, it was a really good class, but it, you guys know this, it's getting the hardest guy to find on the football field is the guy that can get to the quarterback from the interior. So. Um, I think when you have a chance to take one, you take them. And I, I do. I think Quinnen's got a chance to be a special player. I mean, is it safe to say I, I'm a big believer in that just because I think the tackles in this league aren't that bad or the guards and centers, for the most part, are pretty shitty. You know, and we, <laughs> see, De- we see DeForest Buckner, who played around nothing the last couple of years, just dominate on top of, you know, the Aaron Don. There's a lot of really good defensive tackles that are becoming all-timers because there's not exactly – you know, Jim Otto ain't walking through that door to block you every week. It's just, it's not. <laughs> right, right. The, 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 the guards, and I saw this when I got in the league, but it feels like they've gotten worse. And a lot, you know, you you watch a lot of college football and evaluate these guys, maybe the spread offenses. I don't, I don't know exactly why, but there's a lot better tackle play, I feel, in this league right now in 2019 than in guards and centers. No, I think, you, I think you're right, because I think that it's, it's easier to stick a guy out on the edge and just let him be an athlete. Um you know, then put him inside where things are happening a lot faster and he's playing out of both eyes and things are crossing his face. I mean, you just, there's got to be such an awareness playing inside. Again, you hit on the spread offense stuff. I mean, a lot of these guys aren't even putting their hand in the dirt in college. Like, we had Andre Dillard in the game from Washington State this mm. year, and I think Andre's going to be a really good left tackle um, eventually for Philadelphia. But again, until he came to the Senior Bowl, you never saw him put his hand on the ground and, and come off the ball and, and really try to move people. So, uh, yeah, I think you're right on there. I think it's just easier to stick a guy out in space and let him dance with people. Seems like receivers a position when one goes in the draft, it's a position where there there becomes a run. This year it happened, but it happened after the second guy went a little later at the back end of the second round. We had Nikhil Harry go in the first round, who out here on the West Coast, John and I have been talking about Nikhil Harry for three years. We love him. And then the Niners took Debo Samuel, and then there was a break, and then if there was a run, it happened late in the second Debo was at the Senior Bowl. Uh, what do you what do you think of Debo Samuel? Uh, I really like him. I really like him. He, uh, you know, I was he got he had a, he started off his junior year really hot. I think he had five touchdowns in their first three games in South Carolina, and then you know had a pretty bad leg leg injury, which forced him to to come back this year for a senior year. And I went and saw them play Missouri um, in October sometime, and. He looked heavy. He looked a little sluggish. He definitely didn't look back. Um, and then that, that's the, the value, you know, that's the lesson to scouts is that you always got to go back and, and watch late tape because when you go back to the late season stuff, Clemson um, really sticks out. He looked totally back. He had his juice back. He's really dynamic. Um, I thought he was the best guy with the ball in his hands in this year's draft. He's kind of got some running back ability with the ball. Um, thought he could play inside and outside so I thought that was a great pick I know uh 
you know, I, I thought there was teams there at the end of the first round that could have taken Debo, talking to guys leading up to it. Um, mm. I thought that was a real possibility. And I'm just happy for Wes Welker because um, I ran into Wes this spring, and, and he could not hide his affection for Debo Samuel. So, he, uh, so Wes got his guy, and I was happy for him. I think Debo's going to be a really good player for the Niners. I forgot that the 49ers had Wes Welker. I was like, God, the ta- yeah, I was like, God, yeah, he's, he's on the still, Niners. Johnny's Niners still playing. Coach. He's here to take Wes's job. <laughs> I know. Well, how about the other, I guess, wide receiver? I I remember watching this guy in like 2015 going, God, this guy's a really good zone runner as a running back at Tennessee. Then his career, you know, he quit Tennessee because they wouldn't move in receiver, ends up at Baylor. Talk about the scouting process for Jalen Hurd and what you think of his prospects are in the league. Yeah, Jalen was a really interesting case study. You, you, You hit it on the head. I mean, here he was six foot four, 240 pound running back in the SEC. And I would argue his tape was better than Derrick Henry's at running back um, when he was coming out. He definitely had better feet than Derrick and was more elusive. Um, and then he made the, he made the decision to, to create himself, you know, turn himself into a wide receiver, which was, you know, um, you know, puzzling to me because big 240-pound backs that the NFL likes to play with are a lot harder to find than wideouts these days. And, yeah. you know, every every school in the country has got two or three wideouts that they think can play at the next level because, they're, you know, they got 70 or 80 catches. And uh, so for him to make that move I thought was pretty curious. And then, uh, you know, I, I think that what you have to do as a scout, and I think that's why a lot of people really wanted to see him down, Jalen down here in Mobile is, they were just trying to figure out, you know, why that happened and what happened up in Knoxville. And, uh, you know, usually when a guy transfers, there's a different story at the two schools, right? So I think there was different stuff coming out of Baylor than there was coming out of Knoxville. And, and uh, so trying to reconcile those two things as a scout is always difficult. So getting, getting Jalen down here, he couldn't participate. But uh, I knew there was enough want to from the, you know, buy-in from the league's perspective that, hey, we just want to sit with this kid and spend all the time with him and try to get into his head because we've heard from two different coaching staffs what his deal is. Now we, we really want to get our hands on him. So that's why he was the only injured player that we brought down here for the week and let him go through things. And, uh, you know, I, I think talent-wise, San Francisco could really hit because he is very talented. Another guy that was at the Senior Bowl and the Niners drafted. Now this was interesting because it was a punter. And 49ers Twitter was up in arms about not getting a guard uh, when Mitch people Wisnowski, were pissed, a fourth rounder for a punter <laughs> for a, for a unanimous All American, Mitch Wisnowski. Uh, Kyle Shanahan said he never wants to watch special teams film again after getting ready for the draft, watching Mitch punt. But uh, how did you, you how did you scout punters? How much did you scout punters? And and how do you scout this guy? He, he, he's he's an interesting guy because going through the fall, here's a kind of. A, obscure benefit of being on social media. So Mitch, Mitch punted with this group out of Australia and I, I I'm going to get the name wrong, but there's this punting group that trains, trains pro, kids pro kick, American right? Football. Isn't it pro kick? There you go. That's it. Pro kick. And, uh, those guys reached out to me in the middle of the fall. And, uh, you know, I was with the Seahawks last year when, when they picked Michael Dixon out of Texas mm-hmm. and, uh, Michael Dixon and he, you know, he, he was first-team All-Pro this year as a rookie. I think if you ask any Seahawks fan if they were happy with that as their fifth-round pick, they, you know, they would. I mean, he he meant everything to that football team this He's year. He's pretty good. And so, and this kid was trained by the same group out there in Australia. They're, they're like, yeah, you know, we got another mate for you. <laughs> and uh, the cool thing about Dixon was when when we were in Seattle scouting him, 
you know, he, he can hit so many different kinds of balls. Like he's got, you know, if you're a pitcher, he has a bunch of different pitches and, and Mitch can do a lot of the same stuff and uh, really makes it hard for the fielder to return. And I know that like probably wasn't the most, you know, the pick that your the 49ers fan base got the most fired up about, but I think come Sundays uh, in the fall, they're going to be happy to have him because, and again, the other cool thing about Mitch is, and John, you know, as a scouting specialist, sometimes they can, you know, they can be a little quirky and, and, and goofy. And, and Mitch just spending the week down here, like most Australian guys, like he is just a real dude. Like you could tell like he's going to get, he's going to get with the program right away. The teammates are going to like him. Um, he's, he's got a really level head. I don't think you got to worry about this guy flaking out on you. And uh, I think he's going to be their, their punter for a long, long time. He's a really cool kid. Okay, let's let's shift. I guess your boy Mike Mayock and his first draft. I would imagine Cleland was a senior, right? You would have wanted him at the game, but they played so late that the timing was a little off. But you obviously evaluated him. You know, I think most people around the country and definitely around this area was a little bit taken back when the Raiders have selected Cleland Farrell at number four overall. What were your thoughts? Yeah, it, it definitely caught me off guard. Um, I really like what, what the Raiders did in the draft. I really do. Um, I think that John and Mike talked about bringing in guys that love football and could help change their culture, and, and they stuck to their guns and really did that throughout. So I commend them for that. A lot of times franchises say one thing and don't follow through on draft weekend and do, the, and do what they're saying. Um, but with Cleveland, I think that, uh, you know, they're getting a good football player. Again, I brought up the term safe earlier with Nick Bosa. I think that Cleveland's a safe pick, and I, I, that, that shouldn't be taken, you know, with a, with a negative connotation. Again, if they're trying to change a culture, which they feel like they had to, then Cleveland's the right guy to do it. He's going to be a good player for him. I think you know what you're getting. I think he's got some overachiever to him um, in terms of is he a high-end athlete? Like a, you, know, you, you brought up Von Miller and, and – Chubb and even in this year's draft, Josh Allen, he's not to those, not you know, not to that level as a as a high upside athlete. But he, uh, you know, what he does, he compensates for with his motor and his toughness. He's he's you know really good with his hands. He's stout at the point of attack, and he just plays really hard. I thought that uh, really physically, he reminded me of Shaq Lawson, who I think was the 19th pick out of Clemson to Buffalo a couple years ago, or 14th or 19th, somewhere in the teens. And, uh, you know, Shaq hasn't really panned out for Buffalo. Fifth-year option, think, not picked up. <laughs> I think that, yeah, I think the difference between the two guys, I really think athletically, body type, play style, um, at the point of attack is similar. But I just thought Cleveland played exceedingly harder. Um, I think if you when – I, when I did the loss and the issue I had with him was that he didn't make any chase plays. I mean, from the backside, there, just, there wasn't any production where – you put on the tape and, and Cleveland plays to the whistle and run stuff down. And um, so I, I, you know, it, it, it opened my eyes a little bit when they made the pick as it did most people. But I do think uh, at the end of the day, the Raiders are getting a good football player and, and a guy that's going to help them change the culture, which they said has been a, you know, been their main focus. The next guy they took, Josh Jacobs, a running back. Now he was a junior. I, I think it was interesting. John and I, we always look at the draft when the Patriots, and the Seahawks are drafting late, which they almost always are, and think like, okay, one of these two picks is getting traded. 2018, they both picked, and they both took running backs. You guys took Rashad Penny in Seattle, and Sony Michelle went to the Pats at 31. So do you have, I don't know if you saw Josh much, but do you have like personally a hard and fast rule about the value of running backs um, in the first round? 
I don't. No, I just I just go based off the prospect. And for where they got Josh, I thought he was hands down the best running back in this draft. And I have, living down here in Mobile and spending as much time as I have in Tuscaloosa, I've, I've kind of felt that way for a couple of years that, you know, he had a chance to be, a, you know, a damn good back up there. And, and just his running style reminds me a lot of Marshawn when I, you know, I was with Marshawn for a lot of years there in Seattle. And just what he did as a tone setter for our offense, I think Josh brings the same thing. You know, he runs angry. You know, what, what you get out of Alabama sometimes, you get some of that five-star, um, you know, that former five-star makeup of these guys. And, and you know, Josh was a, a no-star until Alabama started recruiting him. You know, and, and I think he worked his way up to be a two- or a three-star. But he just got the right mentality to, to be the kind of back they want. I think a lot was made of his 40 time coming out, and I, that didn't bother me one bit because one thing he's got is burst, and that's way more important at the running back position. So, you know, he, he seeks out contact. He's going to set the tone. And what he's really good at, he can really catch the ball out of the backfield. I mean, I know you guys have, have seen enough tape on this guy, but just watching him run routes down the field and adjust to the ball down the field, not a lot of running backs can do that and uh, catch the ball with his hands and track it. So I think they got a three-down back that, again, doesn't have, you know, he, he didn't have a lot of wear and tear there at Alabama, which which is huge. It's, I just remember, you know, going back to uh, when Alvin Kamara came out of Tennessee playing behind Jalen Hurd, who we just <laughs> talked about. Um, you know, Jalen Hurd was good enough to keep Alvin Kamara on the bench at Tennessee. And uh, and I think that Josh being the backup behind Damian Harris is, is going to benefit him. And they're gonna they're gonna get a lot of good football out of them in Oakland. Well, another guy because the Raiders had it felt like 25 picks in the first round. Their third first round pick, <laughs> Jonathan Abram. Uh, you're living SEC country. I didn't know that much about him. Uh, and then I know DJ had texted me. There's this famous hit of him in a spring game where he killed one of his teammates and it ended the game. And Mayock and Gruden just raved about this guy's toughness. Talk to me about Jonathan Abram. Yeah, I, I texted Mike after the first day. I told him he got the two biggest tone setters in the draft on each side of the ball, Josh Jacobs and John Abram. He's uh, he's really fun to watch, guys. I mean, when you watch the tape, I mean, he's one of those guys you could just sit and watch all day long if you had the time to do it. He's uh, He goes 100 miles an hour. You know, he runs, he hits. I mean, those are the, the run and hit guys are hard to find nowadays. It sounds crazy, but it's really – it's hard to find reckless guys who just fly around and want to knock people out. And he – he just plays that way. And you, you, you know, I heard a lot of stutter. I saw a lot of stuff on social media during the, you know, during the lead up to the senior bowl and after the senior bowl that, you know, he's too reckless. He misses tackles in space, but to me, it's a lot easier to, 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 you know, dial a guy back than it is to get that in him. So, um, you know, John was the guy, he came to the senior bowl and he was the only guy that we flagged medically. He had a left shoulder injury when he got here. I was hoping, and I knew about it. His agent told me about it. I just wanted to see if we could get him down here and get him through some practice because, you know, he's, he's just such a fun guy. And then when we flagged him, both the staff, uh, you know, John Lynch and, and Mike Mayock both came to me on their coach's behalf and said, you know, whatever you can do to keep this guy in Mobile for the week, we'd love to see, you know, love to spend time around him. And, uh, and John didn't want to go anywhere. You know, he – he didn't want to go back to training. He wanted to stay around, be around it, sit through meetings, be a leader. And uh, so he really should. He's really a, a passionate football guy. And and those those guys are getting harder and harder to find. So um, for them to get him at the, in the end of the first round, I thought was a, was great value. 
And, uh, you know, I've shared this story a couple of times. I don't know if you've heard me say it, but, you know, John was a guy that when I told you I was shooting the pictures of our board to Mayock, early, early in the year, I had a couple other seniors above John Abram. And he, he made a point one time, he's like, you know, wait a minute, what are, what are those guys doing that put them above John Abram? So I kind of, I had a feeling Mike liked him from the get-go early in the fall. So he's a... Uh, Really a fun guy to watch play football. Well, I guess my question about him, and you you know this player well. If he's, let's say, best case scenario, he becomes a version of kind of like what Cam Chancellor was for you guys in Seattle. Obviously, Cam, his style, he was so physical. So many of those hits, and the most famous one that still resonates up here in the Bay is when he almost ended Vernon's career. Somehow Vernon has come back the last couple of years, but it felt like it yeah, ended we, right we, there. We used to say in Seattle that he knocked the soul out of him. <laughs> yeah, well, because he did. But he would he knocked the soul out of everyone, and obviously you can adapt a little bit. But that style, I mean, you the last couple of years, it's so hard to play like that. If that's your best attribute, like Cam, is it fair to say would have to adapt a little bit in 2019 because that hit is drawn 17 flags. You know, that, that, there's no way that doesn't get flagged. And I don't even agree with it. But can Jonathan Abrams' number one attribute of just crushing skulls does that still play in today's NFL? Yeah, you know, you make you make a good point. I think one thing Cam and all those guys in Seattle did a really nice job over the years was really adjusting to that um, and, and leading with the shoulder. Over the last couple of years, you know, last couple of years Cam played, he really did a nice job of, of adjusting his game, and he wasn't flagged, at, I mean, fairly at all. So I think it can be done. I think that it takes buy-in from the players. So I think John's going to have to realize that he can't, you know, continue to just be a, a heat-seeking missile all the time. But uh, I, I will say on the flip side that I think it's easy to, to pigeonhole John as a – because, I mean, listen to me, I just went off for five minutes about, you know, the, you know what he was as a, as a run and hit guy and a headhunter. But I think the undervalued part of his game is his coverage ability. He, uh, you know, they manned him up in the slot in the egg bowl against, against Ole Miss. And, uh, you know, he's running stride for stride with slot receivers down the field, finding the football, making plays on the ball. I think, he, I think he's a better coverage player than – than he's been given credit for through the process. So I just don't want Raiders fans to think they've got this guy that's just running alleys and, you know, knocking people out and that's all he can do. Cause I do think that he's got, um, I think he's got good value and coverage as well. All right, Jim, we want to finish with you by just hitting you with some rapid fire. Uh, we're just, we feel like we're vibing. So we'll play a little jazz music here and just let it rip. And uh, all, right. all right, see what Let's you got. Okay, here we go. So I'll go first, John. Uh, we'll, we'll alternate here. How many times have you seen Pete Carroll with his shirt off? <laughs> uh, zero. That was the wow. first time. Okay. Yeah. No. He. Uh, we. No. Never. Never pulled that in the draft room. At least I don't know. I may, maybe one time walking through the coach's locker room, but I, I can't remember. What, what kind of gum does Pete chew? Look. Uh. It's. Uh, Gosh, we've got buckets of it in the draft. They have buff- buckets of it in the draft room. It's uh, it's got a yellow and blue wrapper. It's like uh, it's not bubble, you know, it's not bubblicious or bubble yum, but it's it, it comes in a, a blue and yellow wrapper. I don't know what it is. How would you describe Belichick's personality away from the cameras? Uh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a really. That's a really good. It just depends on you know if it's if it's business time, it's all business. It really is. Um, but there are times where he would sneak up in the personnel and you know start giving us old Lawrence Taylor stories and stuff. And that's really when you saw his personality come out. So it just depends. I mean, he he definitely is 
I mean, that was the unique thing about being in Seattle and New England, just two completely ways, two completely different ways to run a culture and that they both work. Best Tom Brady story. Best Tom Brady story. Um, I will say one thing about Tom, and when he he won that Super Bowl MVP the very first year when they beat the Rams, um, I got there the next year, but he won the MVP. He had the Cadillac sponsorship. He got the uh, he he won the Escalade. He you know got the Escalade, and I I tell people this. He did he drove the same beat up Jeep Wrangler to the facility the whole next year in 2002 because he didn't want the other players to think that he got a big head um, from winning the MVP. So I think it's a pretty cool story. Just shows kind of the, the the wherewithal that that Tom has. I mean, especially you see what you know. There's a couple quarterbacks in this draft. They're already driving around in Bentleys and think they've arrived where. You know, Tom just put that, kept that Escalade home and drove that same beat-up Jeep that he drove to Michigan uh, when we were in school together. Just, just because he had, he, he was, he was, uh, you know, he, he didn't want to rub the locker room the wrong way. When you're at Michigan, who do you think would be the better pro, Drew Henson or Tom Brady? <laughs> that's a that's a really good question. Uh, I, I would I would I would say Tom. And that, that's I'm that, not trying to be a revisionist history. I also thought Drew would be a would be a, a starter in the league for a long time if he not Eddie not gone the baseball route. First word but out he, of Jim first word out of Jim Nagy's mouth when Malcolm Butler caught the ball at the goal line. <laughs> nothing, nothing came out. It was uh, it was no fear. It's like it was an out of body experience. And I've heard people use that term before, and I've never felt it before. <laughs> I had like a vibration go from the pit of my stomach all the way through my body, and I just stood there. And, um, I had my uh, my two kids were there. My wife was there. Um, my son started crying. Yeah, it was uh, not a good feeling. Shittiest car you beat the bushes scouting for football in? I had a '99 uh, Nissan Pathfinder that I had on the road for 14 years, and I put you know like 250 some thousand miles on it. So that one, that one, that one held up really well. Best scouting source that's that wasn't a coach or a trainer or someone involved Ooh. in the program out of college. I think the best guys are um, the equipment guys because they spend so much time in the locker room. So it's almost like going back to the Breakfast Club movie with the with the custodian that said he was the eyes and ears of the institution. I think that uh, those equipment guys see and hear things that the players don't realize they're seeing and hearing. So uh, to me, those were always go-to guys. All right, last one for me, then one more from John. Who is the player that still didn't hit? that you still are convinced you were right about he was going to be great and it just didn't work out for whatever reason. Wow. That is a, wow. That is a really hard one. Cause again, I mean, you scout long enough, you're going to miss on plenty of players. So I'm not, I'm not that guy that's saying he never, he never missed. I don't know, man. That's a, that's a really hard question. I will say there was a guy in Seattle, Kevin Norwood, a receiver from Alabama who I really thought would be, a good third receiver in the league. And I, I try to use it, you know, to help younger receivers. You know, he just never really uh, grasped the special teams part of it. And uh, he wasn't ready to beat out Jermaine Curse to be our third receiver in Seattle and could never just contribute on special teams. And it really hurt his overall career. But I thought that if he could ever get that job, he'd be a really good third receiver. Um, but it just shows, you know, I try to tell young receivers all the time that special team stuff can buy you a lot of time in the league if you're good at it. And that's in Seattle, that's what Kirsten and Doug Baldwin did. They came in as special teams players before they got their shot. So that's probably not a great answer, but that's that's a tough question. Okay, Mel Kuyper had on way too early. 
prediction. Hmm. Number one pick in the 2020 NFL draft is. Oh, you want mine? For Yours. That. You know, you're limiting me to my senior bowl class because that's all I've looked at so far. <laughs> so all these, all these juniors for next year, I guess two is going to be a junior, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's let's go this. Ju- Justin Herbert, top ten pick. Yes? No? Uh, I I would hesitate to say that right now. I like Justin quite a bit, but that's uh, he's you know there's a lot of football to play next year. If but I'll can. be hopefully hopefully I'll be seeing him at the Manning Camp here next month down in uh, Thibodeau, Louisiana. I can't wait to see him. He's a, he is a really good player, but top ten right now. I don't know. That that's tough. I. I hate all the next year stuff in the spring. That's, well, because everyone true. was talking about Drew Locke being the number one pick last year, right? And he goes in the he still goes high. People act like if you go thirty fifth, you're some royal bust. Like check out the contracts the guy go thirty fifth make. Like those guys can feed their family. Like life's okay. Yeah, and that that's the guy I actually would have taken in this year's draft. I've heard you say that was Drew Locke. I mean, I thought he I thought he had the highest upside, but you know, um, like highest players on our board right now for next year. Uh, you know, Raekwon Davis from Alabama is way up there. Uh, defensive defensive end. Uh, Isaiah Simmons, the outside linebacker from Clemson, is way up there. He's a junior, but he's going to graduate, so he could be eligible for us. But, uh, yeah, we're just making our way through it. i got a lot of catch-up to do. Our, our uh, scouts in the office here have been getting through this stuff the last three months, so I'm, I'm staring at about 200 names that I need to play catch-up on about 150 of them. I think Middlecoff and I are going to play a game close to the season called Let's Guess Where Jim Nagy's going to be this week, and we'll just be picking out the best games, and we'll try to figure out uh, who you're seeing. This was fun, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks a lot, Jim. Yeah, anytime. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.